0: Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to acknowledge conventions such as WeedonCon. WeedonCon is a fan-generated charity event for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, and all Joss Whedon creations. It is scheduled for October of 2020 and is held in Los Angeles, California. portion of the proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship. See details at WeedonCon.com. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today, I'm going to welcome Bruce Valanche, a fantastically talented and really fun guy. If you're listening to my show, you probably know him most from the Star Wars Holiday Special, but there's a lot more to him, and I can't wait to get started. Let's go. On mic today, I had the honor of talking to you. Bruce Valanche. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm, I'm moderate to heavy. How are you? Uh, I'm, not
1: I'm a, hunkered down in my Trump virus
0: uh, I'm being so. moderate Moderation is what I'm told I should be But I don't much care for it No, it's difficult <laughs> uh, You are
1: difficult. Mm.
0: You're a very accomplished writer In both the TV and film industry oh, But my you. audience is going to know you Mostly from being on the Star Wars Holiday Special Writing oh my God.
1: Well, I wasn't on it I was one of the writers on it Okay. Well I mean but I know what you're saying, but yeah. I yeah. mean 'cause they're looking and they're going, Well, which creature was he? <laughs> was he in the cantina with B. Arthur? I don't remember that guy.
0: And if so, which was which? Yeah. <laughs> which was
1: which yeah, really. <laughs> which one were you? Which one of those creatures from that from Mar- from uh, Kmart were you? They were all a dime store. They, George had uh uh had a whole bunch of new creatures that were built for the Empire Strikes Back, which he hadn't started shooting yet. And uh, he didn't want to duplicate the creatures from uh, Star Wars, A New Hope. Uh, so basically, we used, uh, we used uh, remainder warehouse creatures that were all like put together with scotch tape and Elmer's glue wall and <laughs> they were the, the bargain basement of, of creatures.
0: You could still see the backing on them when you tore them off the car. Yeah, but you
1: know it, it was carefully choreographed so you so you didn't notice any of that.
0: I, it's such an interesting piece of the fandom history, and it's one of those things that you know now that Star Wars is so big, people just like to brush it aside, and it was brushed aside pretty quickly, actually. But it's just, oh. you know, you have to have those moments. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, as I've said many times, if we knew that 40 years later, we'd still be talking about it, we would have paid closer attention. And the other thing to remember is it was 1977. And so we were all chemically altered. And when you put those two things together, you kind of understand why it happened. Also, it was not, it was not unusual. I mean, there were a lot of these crazy variety specials in those days because it was before cable and uh, uh, they were, A a way for uh, the regular series in that time slot. I mean, uh, that show aired on Friday night of Thanksgiving weekend, which is probably not a very highly rated. I mean, a lot of people watch TV on Thanksgiving, you know, the parade, football, and then they're home and they, so they watch, you know, whoever, Reba McIntyre live in concert, whatever it is. But uh, Friday night is like they its a Thanksgiving weekend, and they're out and they're partying and all that. So, the idea was to get a decent rating that night, and they figured, okay, we'll put a big marquee special on. on. And uh, uh, and that's what—that was what it was designed to be. I don't think if George knew. What what it was meant to be, as far as the network was concerned, he would have uh, allowed it. He probably wouldn't have sold it. I think he really believed that there was going to be an original musical based on his story, and in the middle of it, he would we would insert Bubba Fett as an animated sequence, and the rest of it would just be uh, an original sh- uh, show, you know. And uh, I think he was stunned when when he saw what was happening that you know guest stars were being imported and numbers were being shoehorned into things and a, a lot of stuff that he uh, was not happy about and he got out of town. <laughs> and then, well, like, yeah. And the, the other thing is that the, um, it would have, it got, you know, decent reviews and it got good numbers and it would have just disappeared like all of those shows do, except that the internet happened. And a generation of people who had grown up watching the first three Star Wars movies on VHS discovered this thing on the internet. And by then Star Wars had become a religion. And they said, George, how could you betray us like this? We, this, is, this, this is our, our moral order. And uh, so they were furious. I mean, he began getting death threats. It was terrible. And, uh, and the whole thing, which, of course, we had all said, uh, well, this will go away by Sunday of the weekend. Suddenly, it was coming back to to bite everybody in, in the collective ass. And, uh, and these people were really upset. So it, it, George tried, at that point, George tried to round up all the copies. But of course, you know, the internet is a beast. And, you know, you can't get into all corners of it. And so every time there has been some other Star Wars thing, it surfaces again. And by now, there's a whole other generation that, that has seen the, all six of the movies, and, and the you know Solo and Rebel One and all of that stuff. So uh, each time one of these things happens, the Star Wars Holiday Special comes into play, and I wind up giving interviews like this. Because I'm one of the I'm one of the last uh, the last men standing <laughs> from that from that
0: experience. Well, I, just like I appreciate all of that because you know somebody like me looks at it and it's like I have no idea what I'm looking at. But even more so, I got to tell you, full disclosure: I was born in 1981, a few years oh. after this thing was even made. Oh my god! And and I look back at 70s TV, and it's like this this weird this moment in time where you would take shows from a decade or two earlier and make musicals out of them. And this this wasn't limited to Star Wars, this happened a lot, and I don't quite know why. Uh, You made television shows? Yeah, I mean like, uh, for example, uh, the idea of, hey, Gilligan's Island, that show is done, (laughs) let's make a cartoon out of it. And the same thing happened with Brady Bunch, and then they remade that.
1: Anything, well, those two, particularly Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch never went away. They were always in rerun. And that was why uh, they were so successful in reruns in syndication that uh, people said they're a brand and uh, let's capitalize on, on the fact that it's, there's a fan base out there. And so that was why let's, let's put it in another format and see how it goes. And so that, I mean, I, would, I did the Brady Bunch variety hour which was another show after the original Brady Bunch went off the air on, on ABC, and, but it was in reruns. Are you looking for a, you're looking for a lost, a Wookiee, an Ewok? What, are you getting, letting the cat out?
0: Yes, that's, I'm sorry. That's exactly what I was doing. She was barking. and I, I was trying to mute her. I
1: had that feeling. No, oh, you can't mute it. You can't mute, pussy. What do you mean?
0: Well, you know, <clears throat> it, it tends to get attention even when it's quiet.
1: That's uh, certainly. Aren't we woke?
0: <laughs> I like to think so. <laughs> I, too much coffee, otherwise. Had I don't the,
1: know where the hell I was in this litany of, uh, of terror.
0: Well, you were, you were telling me how, how I, I was hearing you, you were telling me how Brady Bunch was a brand, as was so many brand. other shows that didn't go away.
1: Brands. And so they, they, they kept coming back in different iterations. Uh, the Brady's eventually turned up as a movie, and it, which was a parody of the Brady Bunch. And it was such a big hit that they made a sequel to that. It was also a parody. So it, it just, it, now it, it's a monster that, that doesn't stop feeding itself. Uh, uh, but that's, you know, I mean, look at uh, Star Wars. I mean, it's, it's now they call them franchises and uh, uh, they, they don't they don't refer to them as brands. They're franchises, which to me makes, you know, puts them lower than brands. You know, I mean, a brand, Coca-Cola is a brand. Kentucky Fried Chicken is a franchise. <laughs> they, they, uh, <laughs> So they're, they're all viewed as, uh, as commercial cash cows. And how do, you, uh, how do you, it's so much easier than coming up with an original idea, you know? And, and since the business is now run by MBAs, not by people who want to tell stories, mm-hmm. uh, and they are answerable to multinational corporations, which means that there's you know, somebody in Korea who is, uh, who is consulting on everything that you know Disney does. I mean, I'm putting that out of the air, but but any kind of big studio you can think of. So there are a lot of people uh, of different cultures, and it's very hard to get them to sign off on anything new. But if you bring them something that they already know about and has been a hit before, they're happy to do another version of it.
0: So you, I mean, looking at your, your writing resume and the things you've worked on, you're used to being able to churn out something new and original. I mean, just to, uh, <laughs> you, you, you're not, nobody ever comes up to you and says, I need the same old thing. Just put a fresh coat of paint on it.
1: No, Does it it's frustrate you?
0: Uh, No. Uh, I could do that the other, I mean, I, I've dabbled in both
1: with less success in the original things, I suppose. But I mean, look, the, the, I've written 23 Oscar shows and the Oscar show is exactly what you describe. It's the, it's the same old thing with a fresh coat of paint. Every year, the, a producer comes in and says, we're gonna reinvent the wheel. And you can't because you are, you're parked in that academy zone where there are 24 categories and they give each of them on the air. And four of them are acting categories. So you have to pray that you've got famous people who are nominated in other categories and throw a parade of, of stars uh, to keep the audience entertained while they're waiting for the big moment to, uh, or moments. So that's why when you watch the show, you'll see the, uh, the acting awards. Or there's usually the first award is usually an acting award just to kick the thing off with a familiar face. Hopefully, you know. Sometimes it isn't a familiar face. Sometimes it's Jim Broadbent, uh, but what are you going to do? And who's a familiar face to people who uh, watch Moulin Rouge every hour on the hour, but uh, not to a lot of other people.
0: Well, but, having I didn't go to theater school. I went to a school with a strong, strong theater program. Uh-huh. So even if I hadn't wanted to know it, I would know it by osmosis. Moulin Rouge, you mean? Yes. Or mm-hmm.
1: I didn't go to a theater school either. I went to Ohio State, and I majored in theater and journalism. Mm-hmm. I was a yin and the yang. I was doing theater, and I was writing about theater. So I was theater-centric and, and film-centric, but, uh, and TV-centric, and probably concentric. centric But it wasn't, you know, I didn't get into Northwestern or Carnegie Tech, which is where I wanted to go, because they had theater schools. You know, I mean, you get in and they they start throwing the stuff at you from day one. But for some weird reason, you have to have good math SATs. You know, and I didn't have, I didn't have Prisoner Lachlan working for me.
0: Yeah, I I get the concept that when you go to a university, you're supposed to become a well-rounded person, get a lot of different ideas and backgrounds and subjects. But I think it gets taken to the extreme that you just get to the point where it's like, you need to take calculus to do theater, and I don't quite get the connection there. Uh,
1: but that's, that's the connection. The idea is that you need to be uh, well-rounded. I mean, I don't know why I had to take geology to get an arts degree uh, unless, you know, I, I wasn't interested in painting rocks. Uh, uh, but it was, of all the sciences that were offered that I had to take, uh, that was the most interesting and if, I know i have ever taken geology, but you spend a lot of time staring at rocks.
0: <laughs> in my school, we called that class Rocks for Jocks.
1: Rocks for Jocks. Well, that's right. The football guys were all there. And I, I was interested in them, of course, as well. Yeah. I didn't realize that until I actually, uh, until I was surrounded by them. And I said, Sometimes well, there's a reason to actually show up for this class.
0: You could take notes, at
1: least. I could take notes and I could meet the quarterback. This is not bad. You know, uh, I was adventuresome then.
0: I wish I was. <laughs> I know. a lot of my my regrets from from that department always come to like, man, man, when this cheerleader came up to me and struck up a conversation, maybe that meant something. <laughs> but
1: <sighs> could be, yeah. See, you know, we all develop at our own pace.
0: You know, and some, that's true.
1: Some babies walk at eight months. Mm-hmm. Some you know, year and a half, so we're fundamentally not that different when we get older.
0: Now, I, I you, the finish line is almost always the same. You get to yeah. 30-ish and you've gone through school and you've had a couple of jobs and you can drive and vote and you yeah. all have basically the same package at the end. Mm-hmm. So which, but that's interesting, so you you get out there, what's your first, uh, first theater related gig outside of college
1: my first theater related gig out well outside of I was a child actor
0: mm-hmm. so
1: i was I was doing a lot of professional work when I was a kid i wasn 't a child star, or we'd be having this conversation in rehab mm-hmm. because they don 't do well as a rule
0: true yeah
1: but uh, so I was always working outside of the uh, whatever else I was doing i mean when I was in college, I was doing commercials and Uh, acting in stray films that came along. And and then I went to Chicago, uh, to the Chicago Tribune, and I was writing and I was acting in in Chicago as well. And and a few other, i worked on a couple of papers before that, the Miami Herald, and I did some movies when I was down there, and the Detroit Free Press where I did no movies. (laughs) Nothing was shooting in Detroit then. But so I was always, I, I couldn't tell you what the first thing was that, uh, after. Well, I actually can, now that I think of it. I got to Chicago, and I'd been there for a few months writing for the Trib. And there was an Italian picture that, that came to town. It was called, the, the English title was, Excuse Me, My Name is Rocco Papaleo. But I think it got released as, My Name is Rocco. And it starred Marcello Mastroianni, who was a huge international movie star, and in an American picture opposite Lauren Hutton, who had been the Virginia Slims girl and was a model and was now acting. And it was a story about a, a, an Ita- a bunch of Italian guys who were working in Canada on, on, in a mine. And they come to Chicago for a, the, a big fight between the Italian heavyweight and the American heavyweight. And they're they're fans of the Italian heavyweight. And he gets separated from his group in Chicago and has a kind of odyssey. And he stumbles into a bar on Skid Row where boxers hang out thinking he will find the heavyweight there. And it's a bar run by me. And I am this this Butch Queen former fighter who's now a very flamboyant but still Butch uh, bartender named uh, uh, Auntie Rosa. Tanta Rosa, and uh, I have hair—not a lot, a lot of curly hair—and uh, and they put like uh, coils in my nose, so I looked like my nose had been broken, like I was a real pug, and uh, and that—and we shot that movie, and it has the distinction of being the only Marcello Mastroianni movie to flop in Italy. This is something because he was like you know they, he was next to sainthood, then this picture came out, but it's. Uh, The director became a big director. Ettore Scola became a big uh, foreign director, big Italian director. And I was, of course, brilliant. And every single line in the movie was dubbed by somebody. I mean, I wasn't dubbed, but uh, Marcello was dubbed. Everything was (laughs) into English. So um, uh, on the step, we would speak whatever language we felt like. So there'd be, you know, I'd be doing, well, he and I would do our scenes in French because we knew they were all going to be dubbed. (laughs) Tucked in later on, anyway. Anyway, I'm sorry that was a long winded thing, and there are absolutely no fans of that movie. I, if there's a fan site for that one, I haven't found it. But uh, uh, that was the first thing I did actually out of college.
0: Well, fair enough. It it's actually sounds like something worth watching just for the sake of watching it. And I will say, in terms of fictional bartenders, I would like to serve you a drink. I'm going to put you <laughs> yeah, really. at it's number me and three. D. Arthur. <laughs> Uh, you're going to be a notch below Quark and Guinan, but I'll still put you on the list. That's right. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I pref- prefer that over the bar in Star Wars for sure.
1: <laughs> I, you know, It may not be. I haven't looked at the movie in a long time. I have a VHS of it. Mm-hmm. Now I have to dig out my, my VHS to look at it. I think I may have had a copy of the DVD. That's possible. Anyway, it, um, uh, it may not be as terrible as I make it out to be. I don't know. It, you know it's gritty. I'll say that. Well, he's got a reputation for being one of those gritty Italian post neorealist directors.
0: Yeah, everything you're telling me, if I have the timeline right, would be it would be stuff that wasn't inappropriate for what was going on in Hollywood at the time. It,
1: no, this was 1970.
0: Okay, that's kind of what I was thinking. Just the yeah, late 60s, early 70s. 1970. Yeah. I mean, overdubbing was a big deal. Foreign movies were starting to come in. The rating system was out the window, so people were making God knows what. I mean, it was just that time.
1: Now, the rating system had come in,
0: actually, in the 60s, but
1: uh, this picture being a foreign one, unless they distributed it in the U.S., didn't get a rating. But, you know, in 69, uh, Midnight Cowboy won the Oscar. It was the first X-rated picture. I think the only X-rated picture to ever win the Academy Award for best picture. So it, it, the rating system came in in the late 60s, and it was basically a response to the change in mores and movies that happened with Vietnam, where people swore more, and uh, in order to appeal to a a younger, modern audience, they had to make the pictures less stodgy. And they they kind of uh, jettisoned the production code at that point and put a new one in. And among the things they did was to establish the rating system Strictly because if they didn't, Congress would have stepped in and and caved in to the right and set up its own rating system, which would have been government censorship. So rather than have government censorship, the, the motion picture industry banded together and formed the MPAA, which administers the rating code. God, this is dry, but... <laughs>
0: Well, I actually, I was, I feel like I owe you an apology now because I, I misspoke when I said the rating system. I was thinking of the original production code. Oh, which that was,
1: was, yeah. That was in the, the 30s. Yeah, I mean, th- that, that was- back to the depression. And yeah. for the same reason, I'd like to point out, because in the 20s, uh, movies were considered so scandalous that they were a poor, a, a bad influence. And so there they they were, again, right-wing groups, the Legion of Decency, which was a Catholic group, was railing against Hollywood. Hollywood was the, the, everything that was wrong with the country was Hollywood. And then the depression happened and people flocked to the movies even more. And so the, the movie business, again, they established the production code. Yeah. To, and, to keep the government out of, of the movie business.
0: Sure. And, and that was kind of what I was getting at, not, not the MPAA. So that was, ah. I'm misspeaking on my part.
1: Yeah. If they had put, I mean, ratings, they, I think they toyed with the idea of ratings, but th- that was too radical. Mm-hmm. They just said, no, we'll do everything this way. You must always have uh, one foot off the bed if you're, mm-hmm. if you're in bed. And it's always double beds. And, uh, you know, crime can't pay. And uh, all, you know, just, I mean, there was a, a checklist and there were, you know, people who were checking the boxes on everything when it, with every script that came in. Some of that still happens, but it's it's self-censorship now. It's not uh, it's not um, government. I have a, a framed somewhere in here a letter from the head of uh, Standards and Practices, which was basically the network censor, when uh, Robin Williams did sang "Blame Canada" on the Academy Awards because it was nominated for, mm-hmm. and there was a list of things that we had to cut from the song, you know. That bitch Anne Murray must be cut. <laughs> I remember that one, uh, and there are, of course you know all the all the fucks and everything. And there, you know, I was hoping that uh, the other song, you know, um, Uncle Fucker, would be nominated, because I mean they couldn't have done it if you know, but it was not. I it, I, it missed by a hair. But Blame Canada, that was bad enough for the Academy. There it didn't win, <laughs> but it was a great number.
0: I love that song. I really do. Yeah. There was a uh, group, and I, I don't like to point fingers. I don't, I don't. I don't like to play the hate game, so I'm not going to mention the group. But there was a group about two or three years ago who really got into their thing. Was they wanted to create a service where you could get any movie or TV show you wanted pre-edited with whatever content you didn't want cut out. Wow. Okay. Not my That's cup
1: like, of tea. Like ordering a, a ordering a meal. Yeah. Exactly. I'd like the milk, please, but hold the amino acids.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, so there were basically, and this is, I had to research this to know it wasn't a joke. It was that absurd. But there were people on there saying, finally, I can get Game of Thrones without the sex.
1: Yeah. yeah. Who would want it? They just want the violence. Is that it? Yeah, you could have the sex. I want the Red Wedding, but mm-hmm. I, don't want to watch, I don't want to watch it consummated.
0: Right. <laughs> or, or they you could cut out the violence, too. I'm like, this show would be five minutes long. There'd be well, two sets yeah, of credits, what, and
1: that's it. That's what they used to do to musicals when they would send them overseas. They would cut out a lot of the numbers because uh, the audience was interested in the story, and, and the numbers slowed things down. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's still uh, on airlines. Of course, they're famous for that. They have people at the airline who edit the movies before they're put on the plane. Um, and if you want to see Game of Thrones, I mean, now that doesn't happen anymore because they don't show them in the cabin anymore. Mm-hmm. Everybody's watching it on an individual screen so they can put up a disclaimer. And if you want to see sex from Game of Thrones, you have to lean over uh, you know, to the next person or uh, that they, they won't do it. I, I never would watch air, movies on airplanes for that reason. Yeah. So, they, you know, I said, well, I don't want to see
0: them. Yeah, it, seeing, you're not seeing the movie at that point. Because if there's that much in there that they have to cut out, you're going to miss that much by not watching it. Yeah, yeah. So. It's like uh, when Comedy Central got big in the 90s, they would always get these really edgy, hard PG-13, R-rated comedies. They would cut out everything they couldn't show, and then the movie yeah. didn't make any sense.
1: It was weird. One of the reasons why Logo uh, didn't catch on, Gay Network, which is still around from Viacom is because they didn't have that much money. And so uh, they couldn't do that much original programming and they would buy a lot of movies that they thought would appeal to this market. But they were all basically uh, R movies mm-hmm. and they had to make cuts. And so they were basically asking you to come and watch these movies that you had seen already in their truncated versions now and and sit through commercials besides. So. Is it any wonder nobody tuned in? No. So it would be a, a particular show that, that was original for the network would, uh, yeah, I mean, they floundered until RuPaul came along and uh, and kind of put them back on the map.
0: I, a major trend I would notice is that the part that would be allowed back in would be the, res, the scene of people laughing at whatever had just happened. But oh, you weren't allowed to show what had just happened because that was too that's, risque. That's so, hysterical. yeah. yeah that's, it, it,
1: that's very funny. It, it was you know, ten minutes something, or something funny happened there, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like uh in some movies, uh, they they would cut a number, but they they would they would play it up to the number and then pick it up after the number. So it was like something was about to happen and then cut and it had happened and you don't know what it was, but they were all reacting to it. <laughs> the my favorite is uh actually it's on Turner today, Gypsy, Rosalind Russell, where they cut one of the big hits from to wherever we go, whatever we do, we're going to go through it together. That's not in the movie, but the setup to it is somebody says, we're, we've got to stick with each other. And then there's a cut and they come back and they're all kind of going because they just finished this number. It's a ride. And, And the footage exists. And now I think, uh, you know they don't show it when and there's no restored version of that movie that I know of. But occasionally, somebody when somebody does a show with clips of things that are out, were cut outtakes. That's in there because they shot the whole number, they edited it. They, you know, and then I guess they just have pictures too long.
0: Cutting. Yeah, as somebody, I mean. There's a lot of things, I, I love the movies in general. I love directing, I love writing, but I like to think I have a, a good appreciation for editing. I love seeing a story move along at a certain pace because somebody decided that was the pace it had to move yeah. along at. It's blatantly obvious when that pace isn't kept.
1: Well, yeah, but it, it's not, it's the is the doing what the director wants and, yeah. uh, uh, and then what everybody else wants later on if, if, if it doesn't seem to be playing. Uh, but yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we used to say that uh, you know Madonna's not a great dancer, but she's a great editor, and so all of her concerts and her videos are carefully edited so that she looks like she's dancing more than she's dancing. She's not a bad dancer, but uh, but she doesn't do the kind of uh, it, to see her filmed work. You would think, oh, she's a great dancer. Because the editor did a great job. And I'm sure she's over his shoulder the whole time. But uh, in, in Evita, it's a 90-minute it's a video. She doesn't say a word of dialogue. It's all her singing and posing. So it's, it's perfect. <laughs> and her director on that one was Alan Parker, who just died. But not from that many years ago.
0: Um you're you're breaking up just a oh. little bit there. I caught what you were saying. I just want to let you know that if if, if I wasn't coming through, that's what was going on.
1: because okay. you just broke up, so there. Something <laughs> in the air okay. in Oklahoma and LA. It,
0: it might be. It might be. And there's quite a bit in both in the air in both places right now. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Smoke. <laughs>
1: Ragweed. Oh that, yeah. Well, of course.
0: But um, mm-hmm so are you keeping busy these days aside from wearing amazing yeah, glasses I mean, you
1: know uh writers are, can always write and uh the this this lockdown and the you know isolation and i'm quarantined a turner and i'm just <laughs> i'm at the computer writing away and people are paying and we're, i'm very lucky because uh, i don't have to go out and uh i, I feel Horrible, tremendous empathy for people who have to go out and, and work and do those frontline jobs, but just carry on an ordinary life uh, with everything that's going on. I get to sit at home and create stuff and, uh, and I still you know, have a revenue stream. So I, I don't, I don't brag about it, but I've been busy. Uh, you know, I miss, I miss like, you know, touching people. It's, I have a pug and that's, you know, she's been thoroughly touched. But I miss that. I miss that, you know, the the human touch. The uh, and, and I've had it occasionally. I mean, you know, they've lifted some things out here. I don't know what it's like in Oklahoma, but um, out here it was very severe. And uh, now you, there, there's outdoor dining and, you know, it's, and everything. It's gone from being, from having a COVID noia where, uh, you know, you're scared of everything to, to risk management, you say, well, what, what, what position am I putting myself in by doing this thing? And is it worth it? And at a certain point, it's worth it just to have the basic human contact. Because you know, you, we, 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 we're never programmed to live in caves. No. <laughs> or we'd still be living in them.
0: And despite any precautions we do need to take, there is an upper limit to how much we can do that before we start going crazy for various right. reasons. Well, that
1: explains why people open things up ahead of them when they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. and then have to close them back down. So That's very poor risk management.
0: Bruce, I am really sorry. We're starting to get a lot of glitching here. So I think we should wrap this up while we're ahead right. here. Okay. Um, I would definitely like to talk to you again, though, because I just love your personality. I love your insights on movies and film. And this is, this is a great chat. Great. All right. Um, we'll do it again. Absolutely. Uh, before we leave, leave can you uh, let people know where to find you on the internet? You can go to wegotbruce.com,
1: which is a a website run by a fan and he knows exactly what I'm doing all the time. That's the best place probably.
0: I'm gonna have to check in with this fan and touch base with them before this goes live. All right. Bruce, thank you so much for meeting with me here and I'm looking forward to our next chat. I would like to thank Bruce for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, and a community building tip is something I give to promote the show that costs you nothing and takes less than five minutes of your time, I'm not going to ask you to reach out to somebody else to promote my show. I would just like to ask you to reach out to me. Hungry Trilobite is about many things, but one of the major things it's about is how fandom can be used to make our lives better. If you think your life is better because of Star Wars, Star Trek, Stargate, Battlestar, comic books, video games, whatever your fandom is, if it has made your life meaningfully better, I don't care how. But if it has, send me an email and tell me your story. I just want to hear from you because people like you who have had these experiences are the exact reason I do this show. My email address is bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. That's B-O-S-S-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at yahoo.com. I would really like to hear from you. You can subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.